As entrepreneurs, we're always looking to hire the best quality people out there. Today, we're speaking with Rick Gerard, the founder of Stride Search and Intertrue.ai, a software as a service platform that helps companies interview and find the best quality candidates possible. Rich, I truly enjoyed everything Rick shared with us today, and I hope organizations and entrepreneurs can really take value from this conversation. Some of the value I took was walking through the interview process that he usually only reserves to talk to his clients about. It includes how do you interview for value separately from how do you interview for skills? Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump right into it today with Rick Gerard. Hey, Rick, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're happy to have you. We love the name Higher Power. Talk to us about what is Higher Power? What are you up to these days? Why did you name it that? Give us some background. Yeah, so uh, by the way, it's not a religious show. It's H-I-R-E. So, you know, uh, a lot of people like ask me if it's a religious show right off the bat. Um, you know, it's a play on words. Um, I didn't come up with the name. Uh, the, the guy who kind of coerced me into starting a podcast in the first place um, had a radio station. He talked me into doing a radio show. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Wouldn't Higher Power be a great name? And I'm like, yeah, it actually is. So um, it's stuck. And I, I went with it. And, you know, now it's been running almost five years. Oh, yeah, almost five years. That's great. Tell me about the core principles that Higher Power operates by. Yeah, most definitely. So the premise of the show is we want to help entrepreneurs and business leaders do a much better job in hiring. And to do that, uh, get better at interviewing, right? Because uh, I'm a big believer that the core reason why we fail in hiring is because we don't interview well. And so uh, what we do is we, we, um, we're a problem solution show. So we identify a specific problem that maybe you and I have experienced or can resonate with. And then we share uh, the solutions that like the guests came up with to get past that or and I kind of throw in some of my two cents as well. And, and outside of the of, podcast, you all, it's the company that you have you do recruiting services, correct? Yeah, yeah. So my main company is Stride Search. Uh, we do executive search. I, we do like really hard searches. I like, you know, if you're looking for like a left-handed Java programmer who can speak Korean backwards, like that's the stuff that I like, right? Or or a CEO who, you know, can roller skate backwards while juggling pineapples. You know, like th those are those are the things that I dig into. And uh, we work primarily with values-driven companies and we help them to align the right people with their organization. And um and uh yeah, we we've been We've been operating kind of in, in a retained search model for quite a few years. Um, we call it engaged search because not only do we uh, do the search, but we also kind of help implement and drive the whole interview process that we brought in, which um, which is called Hire OS, which uh, I developed quite a few years ago based on best practices with tech companies. Mm. I'd love to hop right into the nitty gritty. Treat me like I am a client or a potential client of yours and I'm a newbie and I go, you know, this interviewing thing, I don't always know what to ask. Uh, I don't always feel like I'm hiring the right people. Uh, what is it that I should do? This is your expertise. Can you give me some yes. direction here? Absolutely. I mean, the first question I ask is what are your core values? 
if if you don't know what those are, let's sit down and let's figure them out because you got to give people a North Star by which they make decisions within your organization. So we start with core values. Um, and again, you know, it gives you a really strong tool in which you can evaluate people um, based on evidence that they that you extract from the interview as to whether or not people operate the same way that you operate or the way that the organization operates. So a lot of people think core values are kind of bullshit, right? But like the truth is um, not having them is bullshit. <laughs> um, and we've been kind of conditioned that they might be because a lot of people have writing on the wall of their core values and nobody lives those values. So they have to be, they have to be real. They have to have a language around them and they have to, uh, they have to be lived. People have to um, make decisions based on those core values. How do you do that, Rick? How do I interview for core values? So the best way to do it is behavioral interview questions. And I just pulled this from uh, Amazon. Like Amazon's a great case study. If you look up their their data, um, they have their their leadership principles, which are basically their core values. So for example, their number one core value, I think, is customer obsession. And so what they do is they ask behavioral questions that um, that extract data to support whether or not you are a customer obsessed person. So walk me through a time in which you had a difficult customer, you know, and then you're, you're basically building the whole story behind what happened, what were the problems, uh, what were the steps that you took to resolve the problem and um, why that was important to you. So uh, behavioral questions are designed to have like one specific question and then digging way underneath the hood to understand how somebody operates. That's what should happen in every interview, right? Um, instead, we treat interviews like a speed dating thing. You know, we hear the we hear what we want to hear and we go, OK, great. I don't want to mess this up. Let's go to the next question. Correct me if I'm wrong or fill in any blanks. My understanding of behavioral interviewing is it is founded on the principle that past performance is a predictor of the future. Yep. So there are questions that really are probing into the past performance of the individual in a particular area. So you said one question, and then it's doing, to your point, some of the digging to uh, excavate, if you will, a timeline of events, what their involvement was, what their process is, what their thinking was. Yeah. Can you backfill that or correct me? Because again, as the expert in behavioral interview, I want to check off my understanding of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, you're, you're not really necessarily tacking for performance. You're tacking for whether or not somebody uh, resonates with the value that you're, you're um, judging them against, right? So um, if you need people that are very customer centric, um, you need to, you need to understand the whole story of what the experience was, how they felt about the experience, what problems they ran into during the experience, um, how did they get past those problems? You know, so it's, it's really understanding how a person operates a little bit more than how a person performs. But, you know, performance is kind of built into it too. Yeah. So I don't know if that, if that, you know, sheds any more light on that or not, but it, yeah, it does. And how they and, operate and, in the past is indicative of how you expect them to operate yeah. in the future. Of course. I'm really curious, okay. too, like, um, Rich, the way you and I were trained, uh, and we were 
probably trained in interviewing more than the average person coming out of college because the role that we had out of college and the job we had was very important that we interview and hire the right people. Yeah. So we got a lot of training in, in interviewing. And the style that we were trained, which by the way, you know, we had certain values and abilities we were looking for in candidates, and we had to interview for behavioral aspects within those values and abilities. Yeah. And the way we were taught was to really try and dig into their past to find areas where they demonstrated this value or this ability. And then we would go deep. We would go, well, why? Yeah. Why? Why? We would just try and keep going down, 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 down in a little bit of a, a tough style. Yeah. Uh, to really break through what was really going on uh, behind all of that. Is that the approach that you would recommend? So, yeah, you're you're digging to get to the why, right? But the, what's interesting or what I've found over the past few years is that when you ask why, especially if you have positions in like people that aren't typically like uh, extroverts, right? Yep. Why kind of puts people on the defense, mm. right? So we we've actually flipped those to what and how and, you know, work me through that or explain that to me or tell me more. Um, but yeah, the idea is that you want to drill down to like the why, understand the why, and then be able to make a decision at that point based on whether or not they align with what's important to your organization. Um, I don't like adversarial interviews. I know that there's like, you know, there's components um, unless, unless it is your environment, right? So like if your environment is, hey, like we are a hunter environment. If you turn your back and go to the bathroom, somebody's going to stab it. You got to be okay with that. There's people that flourish in those environments, right? So, um, but you don't want to make the mistake of saying, "Oh, we're a you know we're a teamwork based environment. We all care about each other." When that's not even the case. John, <laughs> yeah, were we taught adversarial interviewing? It wasn't adversarial, but it's close. I mean, I'm chuckling because. Uh, you know, part of the strategy was not only to determine their behavioral past and what they had done there to prove they could do it here, but it was also we just wanted to make sure they weren't going to crack under pressure and run out yeah. the door. Well, and we call that their fundamental ability. So exactly. their ability to we regulate to mood. And we would actually test their ability to do that by having a little bit of an adversarial edge to see yeah. how do they respond under pressure because the job included pressure. Yeah, and if that's the job, then that that should be there for sure, right? Yeah, uh, I think every you know there is like a bit of a trend where people are trying to build these like kumbaya companies where everybody like you know huddles around in the morning and meditates and you know does whatever, which is which is great, um, but um, and there also is a big push for mental health and that sort of thing, right? So like these are all issues that you kind of have to be aware of, um, but some people. Again, it's got to be kind of tailored to what your organization is, and it's got to yep. be around. Like, if if you guys have pressure in your organization, then that's a great tool to have. That's a great mechanism to test against. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I certainly have changed my interviewing style since then. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, but you you make a really good point, which is sometimes I still deploy the five whys, and maybe you need to be a little more sensitive to that. Why? Why? You know, it, it kind of comes across very rough and. You know, we had a conversation the other day, which I'm sure you would have enjoyed uh, thoroughly with Andy McDowell. And you know, one of the things that was a little bit of a, you know, a wake up call to me a little bit, not that I never was in the sales mode when I was interviewing somebody either, because they're interviewing us at the same time we're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but it's important to start building that relationship in that interview process, uh, you know, to, 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 to really see what that person is like when they take off the, the suit they came into. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you recommend doing that? Because like a lot of people can put on a really good interview, 
and answer the questions exactly what you want to answer them and you go hire them and they actually don't perform the way that you expected them to perform. How do you overcome that? So those people are kind of scary to me because I I feel like, look, interviewing is not a common thing, but like, how do you get good at interviewing? Well, you get lots of practice and people who interview a lot get lots of practice and they're able to like really read you and tell you what it is that you want to hear. Um, I think you get past it by really digging underneath the hood and, and understanding, you know, who this person is. But you're you're right when you when you say put it on your sales shoes. I feel like most recruiting and hiring processes and interview processes are basically a transactional sale. It's no different than like walking onto a car lot and saying, you know, hey, I'm just checking it out. And then you're like, oh, but you got to check out this car and here's why. And we're so great. And you know, we go into sales mode as entrepreneurs, and I think that gets really, really dangerous. We get locked in on, hey, look at we we need somebody to just fill the seat and do this work. So, you know, when I, when I have, um, you know, a shiny new quarter, I'm going to do everything I can to sell them and try and get them on board. Um, but it really is what, what the whole hiring and recruiting process is in reality is it's a solutions based sale. It's more of an enterprise sale where you're right. It's an, it's relationship. You know, people are going to accept the job for, the connection they have with you that they believe in and buy into you. But also what I'm seeing more and more of today is they're buying into the fact that you understand them and you can help them get to where they want to go. So if, if growth is an issue for them or a pain point for them and they want to professionally grow into a different area, if you understand that and you can provide that roadmap for them, boom, you know, now we've got more value that you can add, uh, rather than just kind of focusing on the, at the end of the process, it's usually about how much I can pay this person. Yeah. And people don't, aren't accepting the offer as much these days for the money you pay them. It's more about the opportunity that you're giving them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that was a kind of another component that uh, was a little bit of a, you know, eye opening for me, which is, you know, when an employee agrees to work for a company, they're looking for a return on their investment of time as well. Oh, to yeah. work for you, not yeah. just the dollars are getting paid for the, what they're producing. They're looking for a return on their time, whether that be happiness, whether that be advancement, whether that, whatever that may be, uh, is, a, is a massive component. You had talked about uh, Amazon and modeling yeah. some of the things off of them. And, and by the way, we have a great episode, uh, I believe it's episode 88 with John Rossman, Think Like Amazon. He's a former Amazon executive who wrote a book about all the Amazon ways. Yeah, uh, And I just want to segue a little bit from that to you have a search company and now you've developed a software as a service. Yeah, And and that may be another way that I may look at, you know, an Amazon-ish type of thing to do, which is, you know, developing a, a product, a technology product that also amplifies what you're currently doing. Tell us more about what that is specifically, the OS, the higher OS program. Yeah, so that's me trying to, and that's me getting to myself to a point where I can scale, right? So, yeah. So, one of the things that used to drive me crazy um, in the executive search world is I, I did realize that, by the way, kudos to you guys that you got interview training, but most people don't. You know, they, they start a company and they get funding, um, they start making revenue, and then they just have conversations with people and they make decisions based on whether or not they want to have a beer with the person or they like the same baseball team. And that was really like crazy to me. And I had so many scenarios where I would find somebody who was really strong for the company and like the the people interviewing it just wouldn't see it. 
or they'd be, you know, or they'd run them out and then they'd realize what they had. So um, a lot of this was when we moved into retained search about nine years ago, it was, hey, look at, we're not just going to find your person, but we're going to also help you build an interview process that you can scale throughout your organization and use throughout the life cycle. So they like you're ensuring that you're getting the best people. And so um, the, through a lot of trial and error, I mean, we really I, I developed this thing called Hire OS, um, which is a hiring operating system that essentially takes everything from the point of engagement, that first initial like phone screen or what we call discovery call and all the way through to the offer process. Um, by the way, like that first phone screen is probably the most important conversation that you can have with a candidate in the very beginning, bar none. And, and again, if you look at most interview process, we don't develop a relationship with the person until the end of the process when we're trying to get them to join. And the most critical time is in the very beginning to understand what it is that they're positioned for. Are they even positioned right for your organization? And do I have a high performer? Um, instead, again, we kind of go into sales mode and we tell them about what we need and it's very selfish. Um, and that do, that's, doesn't serve you well as, as an organization. Um, so I, um, yeah, so I built out this, this interview process over the course of um, a number of years with our clients. And um, basically what we realized was, hey, how do we make this scale? How do we make more, like how do we help more companies to be successful in hiring. And really the only way to do it is to put it in a, a software platform where people can come in and they can build out their whole interview process and then run the actual interview and have consistent data that they're extracting to make the decisions. You know, I'm not a big fan of scorecards. I know a lot of people think scorecards are great, but those are all based on opinion. And I, I like data like i like fact okay this person is a pass because when when we talked about x y and z they don't align with x y and z they want pdq they want something totally different um when we talked about them being able to align with customer obsession going back to amazon um this person like fired three different clients and didn't even like they didn't really care about helping their clients out right so those things are very like those are really important to whether or not somebody's going to be successful in your organization. And so that that's that's what we wanted to build is be able to have that ability for somebody to go in, run our um interview process from start to finish and and be able to come out of it with a hire um a really strong hire at the end, stronger than you would probably get if you just conducted a normal interview process. The one I'm of the other things to... that I Oh. I'm just trying to envision higher OS and what it looks like on a dashboard view in the absence of like a scorecard. So we say customer obsession. We want to interview for that. We found out, you know, your example, the person uh, was unjust in firing uh, three customers and did not respect the customer. Yeah. What is that? without scoring that on a scale of zero to five, so I can get a quick view on where the person is on the things I'm interviewing them for, like, how does that show up? Do I actually have to read the bio on higher OS on everything in order to get a feel for it? Or what does that look like from a dashboard view? Yeah. Okay. So higher OS, by the way, is the methodology. And then ah, okay. InterTrue, InterTrue is the platform. It's I-N-T-E-R-T-R-U. Okay. 
So it's innertrue.ai. Um, so essentially, you know, if I ask you that question on the dashboard, um, I'm happy to show it to you guys offline if you want to see it. But um, if I show it to you on the dashboard, um, to the dashboard, we ask the question, it's clear that you're wrong. It's a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Okay. If it's a, yeah, if it's a thumbs down, um, then, you know, you can wrap up the interview at that point and move on. Or you can kind of maybe ask another question. And it depends on the how critical that is for you. But somebody should be hitting a thumbs up on it. Nobody's going to hit 100%. But, you know, the thumbs up, um, you're getting clear data to support that. And then, you know, you can have the discussion of whether or not um, with, with your team as to whether or not, like, hey, is this is this a deal killer for us? But in most cases, it's really critical because we're only feeding three to four questions to each interviewer and expecting them to dig underneath the hood. So if you're only asking three questions and, and gathering a lot of data, you can make a really, really accurate decision as to whether or not somebody is a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Got it. So to say you're feeding them three or four questions, is that to say you would recommend probing in on three or four areas? That's about all you can get to in a reasonable time frame of an interview. Yeah, with one with one interviewer, yes. I mean, okay. and, and that's judging values, right? So you're just judging them against your core values of your company. Now, when you're judging skills, we created this thing called a working session, which which is essentially um, you're, you're, you're defining a problem that you have. And, um, what you're doing is you're having them work with the development, like with the team that they would be working with and they're working through a problem together. So they get like a data set. Um, sometimes it's un incomplete. It's their job to kind of lead the meeting. They'll come in and they'll, um, they'll have questions prepared and then essentially, um, they're off to the races. And the idea is to get a really accurate picture of how well this person integrates in the team, how they problem solve, how they communicate, how they present, and how they prepare, which are all very critical elements. They don't necessarily have to have 100% of the skill set that you're looking for, but they have to be able to demonstrate that, hey, look at, they get it, they want it, and they have the capacity to do the work. And that was on the skills side. And I understand yeah. on the value side, you go with three or four questions. Yeah. Uh, do you have, have you found in all of your research on this topic, have you found an assessment that is a question-based assessment uh, online? You can have a candidate take that would relatively accurately expose what their value sets are? I um, have not. So that's why no, I'm asking you, like, if you found one, I'd love to know what it is. No, like, here's the thing. I think, um, to me, assessments are great tools for how to manage the people you already have or the people you're getting into the room. I, but making a hiring decision based on an assessment is kind of silly uh, because, quite frankly, like, I, I, I've never been able to find data that accurately can tell me that, hey, look, at if you use our assessment tool, you're going to have a 93% success rate of somebody who's going to last 10 years and they're going to crush it for your company. Like there, there's just no, um, but, but it is kind of a, a comfort tool, right? Well, the assessment said this person is probably going to work for us I, again. I don't know where they're like, what, how they're pulling the data or like where they're coming from, but like it, it's better than nothing. 
but I, I haven't found anything that works yet. Got it. Yeah. We have a really good assessment that's used that um, is backed with psychometrics and is statistically reliable and statistically predictable of behavior, but it's on a number of preferences and then they start to get combined. And then there's yeah. a little bit of guesswork on do they employ compensatory skills and not. And it doesn't assess for values, though. That's kind of like one of the hidden gems that it sounds like along yeah. your journey as well as mine. And I'm assuming yours too, John. You haven't found a shortcut to values other than having the interview with these kind of three or four areas that you're probing. Have you found any shortcut to that on your end, John? No, not really. I, I, I do love what you're both saying here. And on the values piece, um, even going back to you know when we talked about when we first started, it was you know, probing deep into these areas um, of values. I am curious, Rick, uh, is it, I want to understand the process that you would say is the world-class process to onboard. And, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into something you said earlier too, which is the discovery call is the most important. But the discovery call is number one. You get a lead, yeah. right, of a candidate somehow. So recruiting to me is finding names in the funnel. But then Absolutely. you have to, contact them, right? And so the first contact's made, that's called the discovery call. Before you talk about the discovery call specifically, I want to go into that. Yeah. What's the next step? So if you were to walk me through to offer letter and someone's going through all the steps, what would the steps be? Yeah. So like, look, I like to keep it simple, right? So a discovery call, if somebody uh, is positioned right for the organization and they are the cal like they have evidence to support that they're a high performer, yep. your C player, right? Um, then you move them straight through to the interview. Okay. The first interview is with anybody in the organization who's trained to do a values-based interview. So okay. you don't need to pull your productive people out of production to talk to this person. It could be Sally in accounting. It could be anybody, right? Sure. So that person's going to evaluate them to see if they're a strong value alignment fit. That goes well. Then you move them to the working session. Then you bring the team in okay. and you allow them to work together. And then finally, that goes well. The, the last stage is another short values-based interview with the hiring manager or the leader. And then at that point, we're prepping them for offer. Okay. Because in that conversation, at that point, they should be, they should be leaning into the organization, really, really wanting the role. And so we're going we're gonna to just confirm and make sure that they do align with the other values. And then we're going to go ahead and we're going to move forward and, um, and, and ask them what they want to do. Like, you okay. know, it's funny because people always tell offer presenting is the interesting thing. Like, we want to make you an offer and here's what it's going to be. And people go, okay, great. You know, let, let me see it. But nobody ever asked the candidate, like, what do they want to do? Yeah. So what do you want to do? Do you want to work here? You know? Very important question. Yeah. <laughs> and the way they answer it is is critical, right? Like, well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, let's let's see an offer. Doesn't mean like that means you got a lot more work to do. Yeah. And you should never have offer turndowns. I haven't had an offer turned down in like nine and a half years. And John, you and I were taught to trial close. Yeah, at, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> usually after the second interview to ask yeah. if I were going to offer you a role, which I'm not right now. But if I were going to, would you be accepting? Yeah, that's yeah. great. And and you know, in their reaction time and what they think, like. You know that 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 makes a difference. If they're kind of like, well, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of like it so far. I mean, if you're getting any like anything other than a hell yes, I want to work here. You've got some work to do. 
you, you yep. need to build that relationship or you need to go, you, you need to really take a step back and go, Hey, look at, sounds to me like you're not sold. So what did we miss here? So Rick, yeah, it sounds really like as a that. tactic, the uh, trial closing at the end of one of the interviews in the middle or late stage of the process, you'd absolutely endorse that our entrepreneur listeners, hey, trial close those people you're interviewing by asking, if I were to make you an offer, I'm not right now, but if I were to make you an offer, would you be accepting, you would endorse that? I, I would I would back it up and be, I, I, I start with, hey, so like, you know, look at, we've been through the process. What are your thoughts? What would you like to do? And I want them to kind of share with me how they're feeling about it. You know, um, I, I will. Um, I used I to. I used it's to, a difference between what I did is kind of a hard yeah. trial close. You got to pick yeah. a line versus yours is more, uh, frankly, more partnering uh, yeah. of a way to get the same information. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, you know, I think uh, when you, when people do feel like, especially like some of the younger generation, whatever experiences that like when they feel like you're starting to pressure them, especially at the end of the process, because what we've all been conditioned to do is when toward the end of the process, that's when you, you, you shut your mouth, you don't say as much and you're not as communicative and you're like, you're, it's you against them as the candidate. And, you know, because now you're in that transaction component and that's where that's where things a lot of times go south. And so you want to keep that. Hey, look at I mean, you know, they're going to be working for you. You want to keep that relationship strong. Uh, the money should, you know, so, hey, like, what would you like to see here? Like, what would you like to do? What would we need to do for you to get you on board? You know, and let them tell you what they want and what they need uh, rather than saying, hey, you know, we're all good. We're going to offer you this. And uh, it's going to be this, this, and this. And when can you start? Like those are really assumptive things. Um, and then, then again, we're surprised because we give them an offer letter, and they go, um, "Yeah, I accepted an offer somewhere else." Right. So, you know, the close should be more of an open. To me, it's like, hey, look, I'm going to open you up to, if you want to be here and you feel like there's value in you being here, then join. If not, you know, you should go somewhere else. And that should always kind of be your attitude for the whole thing. There's no reason to put it together an offer and, and really kind of cross your fingers and hope that somebody's going to join your company when, you know, you really know deep down they're not going to join, you know. Now, I know you can't give legal advice and maybe you'll say, hey, because of that preface, I can't answer. But when you have them in for a working session, do you have to pay them for that time? Were there actually um, we have some company, doing work? Yeah, we have some. We have a couple of companies that do. I mean, you know, so we have one. They like run it for ninety minutes, and it's just like a normal interview. Um, we had one client that um, they did a half day with their team, and like they're and so they said, you know, come on in for a half day, work with our team, and we'll pay you for it. So I, I don't, you know, it, it kind of depends on what, however you want to structure it. Nobody's going to say no. I don't want you to pay me for it. Right. <laughs> well, and especially when you're asking for multiple hours and if there's genuine work product that may result. Uh, yeah. But I will preface it with uh, I'll always follow your local, state and federal laws and talk to your <laughs> labor attorney. Don't take our advice. Yeah. 
Um, Wise advice. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the role of selling in the interview and what are some selling questions that can be asked to (laughs) encourage the person to want to work for you? So, you know, one of the things that I find a lot of recruiters do, right? Like they get a candidate and they start selling like, hey, I work for XYZ company. We're funded by XYZ. You know, we've got these great founders. We've got this. We have all these great benefits, blah, 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 blah. And and here's the thing, like all that verbal diarrhea, they probably heard like one thing, right? Um, the problem is that uh, they don't really care. They don't give a shit about your company because they don't. You know, unless you call up and you say, hey, we're Google and we want to talk to you, you're not a name brand company, but even the, you know, it depends on the person. It depends on the individual. Um, selling to me is actually, I don't present anything about my company or anything until I understand the person and what's important to them. So if if you tell me that, hey, what I really want is I want to work for, you know, a company that's a startup, that's growing that has founders that have done it one time before that have a really collaborative environment and, you know, all this stuff, that's, what's important to you. Right. So anything else I tell you that's not relatable to that is unimportant, right? They don't care. Um, So the only thing that I do in my recruiting efforts is I actually connect the dots for them. So at the end of the conversation, I tell them about the company Here's who we are. This is what we do. And here's where I see that you're a fit. And here's where I see that you're not. The not part is very important because we don't do that. We're like, oh, you're going to be great over there. You'll be awesome. But there's never 100% fit. But you need to understand like, hey, look, you did say that you wanted to work in this vertical. We're not in that vertical. You know, how important that is is that to you? And so... um, Again, I'm letting them be proactive and telling me what they want. If what they want is what we offer, then we take it forward. And if not, uh, then we don't. So we used to call this, uh, in, in more layman's terms, don't sell them the buffet when all they want is a ham sandwich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what you're talking about is getting on the phone being like, oh, let me tell you about our company. We do this, we do this, we do this, you do this. And you just wasted half an hour yeah. because you don't know what they want. And yeah. Once you find out they want the ham sandwich, talk to them about the ham sandwich or tell them you don't have ham. Yeah. Uh, you're a chicken shop, right? And 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 move on. But it, it's really that what you said earlier, that solutions-based sale or needs-based sale. How do you, in the discovery call, though, approach it then? How do you find out what their needs are as in as quick of a time frame as possible on the discovery calls? you got to make 100 of those discovery calls to find who you're going to send to the interview. Yeah. How do you make that as efficient as possible? Like if I have 100 calls to go make, that's yeah. before you comment, that's the most intimidating thing I see for entrepreneurs right now and or their teams is they put an ad out there, they get a 1,000 resumes and they go, oh crap, I just want to yep. see if anybody likes the Mets in here. I'm going to hire that person because I, I just don't have any time to call these people. So how do you make that process efficient? And then in addition to that on the call, you know, how does your software, how does HireOS slash Intertrue help with that management? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. All right, so we I created, and it's in my book, um, a script for it, right? Okay. And it's based off three pillars. I wanna understand a person's pain. I wanna understand what they desire. And then I wanna know what kind of impact they made in their current role. So do I have somebody who's positioned right for the company or do I have and do I have an A, B or C player? That that's the goal 
of anybody who's doing the phone screen. We train admin to do that. You don't even need a full recruiter to do that um, because we have a script and then the platform actually runs that. So you hop on to a call or a video chat with a person and we actually have it all scripted out on one side. You can take your notes on the other side. Plus we're recording, transcribing, and then we're using AI to uh, analyze the data to make sure that people are getting the right data out. Um, so pain, you know, people have to have a reason to leave, right? If somebody just says, hey, I'm looking, you know, to make more money, that's not a good legitimate reason why you should continue trying to hire somebody. But hey, if I'm in a position where like, you know, in order for me to grow in my career, somebody above me has got to die, you know, or, um, you know, the work that I'm working on, I've been doing it for five years and I'm getting bored. Or there's been a leadership change and, um, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm on board or in alignment with these guys. Perfect. Those are good pain points. Desire is, hey, you know, um, if you could design your next opportunity from scratch, what would that look like for you? And, and so I'm going to get them to tell me where they think they're going to be successful. Right. And we all have a vision. Most professionals have a vision. And if somebody doesn't know, then I have them think about it and get back to me. You know, but we've all thought about like, you know what, I wish you could be doing more of this or, you know, I really like this area. This is interesting to me. So if I can understand what it is, that's important to you. Then again, if it's alignment with my company, then then I move forward. Right. What type of culture, what size of company, um, what industry, what role I'm looking to play. That is all kind of fills into the desire slide. And then finally, I want to know how good a person is. So um, walk me through the most significant impact that you had in your current role. And what I mean by impact is something that has saved time, generated revenue, or you've gained recognition from your um, leadership from. And what I'm trying to get there is the story of something they did above and beyond their current job that, that made a difference within the organization. And, you know, some people don't have it. Some people don't even know that they have it. And you kind of coax it out of them. But mm -hmm. but I don't want to know what their job is and their roles and responsibility. I want them to dig into a specific project or something they did and give me details of exactly how they did it. What problems they ran into. What did they do when they hit those problems? How did they get past them? Now, this can all be done like a, a good call, 45 minutes, which is well worth the time investment. Uh, somebody who you know, you get to the desire and you figure out that they want a large company and you're a small company, 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes. So from a you, those thousand candidates that might look daunting, you're going to weed 90 of them out probably in the first two questions. But what, when you, when you approach the interview that way, I get people to bow out. They say like, especially the desire piece. Oh, you know, I'd love to work for Amazon. Okay, great. You know, we're a small company. We're probably not going to fit you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you're probably right. Okay, perfect. You know, let me ask you, of the top two or three people that you know that do what you do, who would you say would be the best people? And then not can ask for referrals indirectly. And then I could kind of, yeah. you know, there's, a, my, there's a stride search coming out in you. Yeah, uh, I know. That's, that's, the <laughs> that, that, that's fantastic. But, but that, that, that was actually, you, you led to, to, I guess, part of my point, which was you have an admin who's asking these questions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that admin needs to be trained to be able to know yeah. how to respond to, okay, well, this isn't for you or, or like, what, what is the, 
I guess does does uh, InterTrue provide you with the mechanism that after that call, based on how the admin puts the responses in, it gives you a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Uh, yeah, each one you give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, okay. But yeah, we, to answer your question, yeah, they do need trained. Um, we found that you know you probably do about twenty mock calls, fifteen to twenty mock calls, and they get it. Okay. Um, because then they start understanding what it is that we're looking for. And then, you know, then your basic information is all collected at the end of it. So um, it. And then I always wrap up with, because I want to know, like, what's going to make this person accept an offer? And the very last question I always ask is, you know, what are two or three key components that you need to see within an organization for you to accept an offer with them? Mm. Good question. Yeah. And those, those kind of like usually confirm the desires but you know they at least tell me in what what's what's most important to that person okay so rick um just so i under fully understand the the process when you do 20 mock calls with the person you're training to do discovery calls yep. who is doing that the entrepreneur intertrue uh the hr person within the organization who is who is training the tr the, the interviewers in your model yeah, we we're actually we're actually doing it in kind of groups where we've got quite a few people okay. that are kind of going through doing mock calls, but then we make a couple of live calls. So it's you know you it's just like anything. I mean, you got to get people comfortable on the phone if they're not comfortable being on the phone. Yeah, um, having a script is intimidating in the beginning, but once they start to internalize it and understand it, then it becomes really easy. Yeah. Um, so it's just getting past that first like two to three calls that they make, maybe even five. Yeah. Um, I was where, more where wondering, is that a service you provide through InterTrue? Is the training, the people who are going to be doing the values-based interviews, the discovery calls, or is that something, hey, we're going to give you the script. You guys got to figure out the training on your own. No, you know what? Like onboarding and customer success is super important to us. So like mm -hmm. we're right now putting in time to make sure that people are like getting it and they're understanding, like, and they're, and they're buying in and they're like using it properly. Okay. Because, okay. you know, again, you can give, I, the old adage, like you can give like a samurai sword to somebody who knows how to use it and they'll kill yep. everybody in the room, but give a samurai sword to somebody who doesn't know how to use it and they're going to kill everybody in the room plus themselves. Yeah. So. Yeah. We don't want that. So just one <laughs> last piece on John before, John, before we move on from here, yeah. can you repeat Rick the, what was the opening question around pain that you recommended? Um, yeah. So what's happening in your current role that has you open to hearing about something potentially stronger? Got it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. John, go ahead. Yeah, no problem. Uh, the, the question I had was more back to InterTrue. I'm, I'm thinking more software. So my head's, I, I, I am a yeah. customer of InterTrue, the software as a service. When do my resumes and candidates that have replied to my ad get into InterTrue? Does InterTrue do the postings for me and then manage the resumes that I can I can qualify people through? Or is it, okay, now I have a resume, I'm calling this person, I'm going to put their name in there, and I'm going to do the interview process through InterTrue. Like, what point is it pick up? And what, what point is it say, okay, we're done, now you got to go to your HRIS system? Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's plenty of uh, HR systems and uh, ATS systems out there that manage that whole process. We're, we're filling in a gap for the like, just the interview. The problem is that most ATS systems, you can log in and take the data and you can move them through a funnel. So they have kind of, they have the structure there that you can move it through, but there's nothing that's actually in the interview. And so that's where we are. So we gotcha. integrate with the um, ATS systems. We have some light 
ATS functionality, but it's not really like, for example, like we don't give interviewers any resumes because it's a fallback point or it's a crutch by which they actually create bias or assumptions. And so we want to eliminate that from the interview as much as possible. If I know that you went to the same school I went to, I'm going to treat you differently wow. in the interview than if, you know, if I, you went to like my, comp- my competing school, which I hate, right? So I want to make sure I got that straight. Rich, I don't know if you've ever done this or heard of this before. I, I don't think I have. We do not give our interviews, interviewers the resumes of the people they're interviewing. Nope. That's pretty I've cool. never I've never done that. I've done where if one team member is moving from one direct report to another direct report, I have said, let's not do a handoff meeting. Let's let a new relationship be built uh, with the new report, which is a similar <laughs> principle as what you're getting at there. But I love the idea of especially early on when you're testing for values and you're testing for is a person a high performer, what does that have to do with a resume? So I think that's brilliant, Rick. Yeah, nothing. I mean, the only person that really needs to see a resume in the very beginning is the person who's maybe doing kind of the screening just to make sure that there's and maybe the hire manager at the end or you need to keep it for compliance. But again, I found that whether you like it or not, and no matter how tight your organization is, there's more than two, inter- like, there's usually two or more interviews that happen at a time with every person. They have a good first impression interview and a bad first impression interview. And they're either looking for a way to get this person in or get out rid of them. And that's, that does not serve the business at all. I know you have a philosophy around healing their career wounds. Can you expand on that? Yeah. I mean, that for me is the punchline of how you land strong talent, right? If I can demonstrate that my my opportunity, my company is going to help you get to where you want to go in your career, then great. You know what? We, we provide value to you more than just a paycheck. And a lot of people, that was one of the interesting things that I've saw from, from our time during COVID and over the past couple of years is that uh, money is not as important as it was, right? We didn't, people still make jumps for money, but for the most part, people want more out of their career. And there's been statistics that have gone around for years um, that have talked about how disengagement in companies is, you know, it's 70% on most companies. It's at, at a lot of organizations. So. You know, obviously, there's reasons why people are not happy at work. And when people are not happy, they check out. So if you can be that bright spot that's going to provide them what it is they're missing, then boom, you can get them. That's terrific. Uh, One last question for me is, how do you evaluate that you have made a successful hire? Um, When they... When they... Like they get it and they and they um they make an impact rather quickly, right? So they they see the opportunity, they seize it, they 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 have passion about the business, and um they're you know, they're doing whatever they need to do to be able to be successful in that organization. And you know, um 
the the way that you track that as a leader is that you know in your job description i think one of the one of the failure points that i've seen is that we we create a wish list of skills that we think we want this person to have but we don't set performance metrics you know when you go to college they give you a syllabus of what to expect right and what your expectations are for the class we don't give a we don't give people like a syllabus of how to be successful here or what's expected of you so um we we started just taking job descriptions and making them performance like doing performance metrics. Your first ninety days, you're going to hit this, you know. In your first thirty, it's this. First sixty, this. First ninety, this. This is our expectations are going to be. We we discuss it, we agree upon it, and then we hold you accountable to it. And you know, in most cases, you want them to crush those goals and be on. Okay, what's next? Let's go. Rick, thank you for being on and thanks for giving a lot of the tips that I'm sure you reserve for your clients and thanks for generously giving that to our entrepreneur listeners. Absolutely. Like I'm here to help entrepreneurs. I am one too. So like anything we could do to make ourselves better, I'm in. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, John, I'm going to kick off this debrief with a, a bit of a challenge. Do you happen to remember the five things that we were taught to interview for when we were taught interviewing? The five things. I know that we tested for three values and and five abilities. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. What are the five abilities? All right. Uh, Five abilities. Um, Precision. Yep. Fundamental ability. That was on the first interview. You got one out of five. Precision. Okay. All right. All right. Precision. Um, uh, achievement, attainment. Yep. Attainment. Okay. Two out of five. All right. This is tough. Uh, I don't have good memory as it is. You're doing great. Um, integrity. That's on values or was it on, uh, integrity actually isn't in there. It'd be introspection. That's introspection. an I. We'll give it okay. to you. Okay. Now you're three out of five. Now you're we'll helping me. I appreciate that. <laughs> introspection. Yeah. Help me. What are the last Leadership two? and tenacity. Leadership and tenacity. Okay, I like that. You brought up how we were trained in interviewing, and I couldn't help. It's just uh, drilled into my head what we did when we worked on uh, fundamental and instrumental ability and leadership attainment, precision, introspection, tenacity. And he's right. Not a lot of entrepreneurs are taught how to interview, and we were really fortunate to learn that. and it, it was just a flashback, the way that you brought that up with Rick. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, keep in mind, too, that you know a lot of startup entrepreneurs um, never have a need to interview mass amounts of people. I think in our first careers out of college, we were interviewing a lot of people to find needles in a haystack and therefore the necessity to learn interviewing skills and certainly paid dividends to me through my career in terms of you know that skill set. But now, if you think about an entrepreneur listening to this episode, is go, look, I've never been formally trained in interviewing. My company's growing. I got to retain and so I had to hire and retain the best possible people out there. What I loved about Rick's process and very, very solutions based, very, very open to allowing the candidate to control some of the process and control some of the conversation. And what is a candidate really looking for? And he said it very well at the end, his book, Healing Career Wounds. This resonates with me, Rich. If you want to find the best candidates to come work for your company, heal what their wounds have been in the past and show them that by coming to your company, they're not going to have to deal with that. 
That is a number one key. And I found that a lot of my key hires over time, if I think back to key hires I've found, they wanted to come to work to our company because they had a bad experience over there and they felt comfortable that wasn't going to happen with our organization. You know, and in that, you're really putting the candidate at the center of the story of the interview. He didn't speak about it like this, but it is a marketing principle that's very current that when you're going to talk to people about your company, it's very natural to put your company at the center of what you're talking about. Well, let me tell you how long we've been in business. Let me tell you what our core values are and uh, what we did in revenue last year and how we take care of people. And that's not how people are interested in being hired or buying from us these days. The way they're interested is they want to be the hero, not sit around and hear you lecture about how your company is such a hero in the marketplace as as an employer. But they want to be the hero. In order to make them the hero in the story, we've really got to take the time to ask really good questions about, for example, what is their pain so that we can come back and talk to them about how we operate differently. And if we don't operate differently, have integrity and say, hey, this isn't the place where you're going to get that. And I'm sure they'd be appreciative that you just call a spade a spade. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think that discovery call we talked about and you just went through the needs, you know, pain, desire and impact that he that he seeks way too many times. I mean, I'll raise my hand as being one of those people. Our discovery calls are screening through resumes. Yes. Oh, OK. This looks like this person has what I need. This person. Oh, this person doesn't. This person doesn't. And and uh, the ability Which is a to, skills first mindset instead of a values first mindset. 100%. It's a skills based mindset for sure. And, and you're weeding out all these people who may be fantastic for your organization. You can teach them the skills, but you're weeding them out before even considering them. So instead of discovery call, what we do is resume screening. That's what I see, right? Yep. If you get through the discovery and you're now bringing them through the process to have somebody who's not the hiring manager be the first interviewer. The reason why that's important, and don't even give them the resume, have the first interviewer not have the resume and not be the hiring manager. You get rid of these biases that exist to, oh, I really liked, you know, this person's shirt. I really like where they went to college. They're my favorite sports team too, like, you know, whatever. And as the hiring person, so that interviewer is either thumbs up or thumb downing that person based on values of the organization before they even get to the next step. So you, you also get steps. rid of the bias of the hiring manager who wants to fill that slot because the longer that slot is open on their team, the more pressure it puts on them. It also eliminates that bias. 100%. I mean, this, this seems like a holistic company approach to hiring yeah. versus yeah. the hiring manager hiring the person that they want on their team. And then you end up with a team that looks exactly like the hiring manager. They just hire people like are just like them and think like them and like to have beers with them at the pub and, and whatever versus a real true hiring process. You know, I, I, I'm curious as to your take as to what size of a company should you be to implement a process like this? At what stage do you think this fits an organization? Well, first of all, I've never done it. So I'm hypothesizing and I would tell you, I would hypothesize any, any size. Uh, if it were just you and I in the company and I were hiring based on this process, wouldn't it make sense for you to do the first interview? I think any company can implement this and I would think it'd make a, a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to come back. You recap the pain, desire, and impact. 
I did not recap on the podcast the questions that were brilliant that came after, and I took a note on them all. I want to yeah. recap for uh, my Please. benefit, your benefit, and our listeners around pain. The key question that Rick recommended, what's happening in your current role that has you open to looking around? Around desire, if you could design your next opportunity from scratch, what does that look like? Around impact, walk me through the most significant impact you've made in your current role. And when I talk about impact, it's about saving time or money or getting recognition. And then the last one I have a note on is what he said he always closes with, which is what are two to three key components within an organization that you need to see for you to accept an offer from them? I think that's pure gold on all four of those questions. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it's, it's very easy to see that if you're always asking those four questions, the same questions, four, the same four questions, every time you're doing a discovery call, you'll be able to tell the A players from the D players within a very short period of time.